And grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd like us to go to the Old Testament reading this morning from Malachi chapter 3 and just like to read these words once more. And this is in the context of about a hundred years after God's people return from Babylon and exile and return back to the promised land. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping in charge or of walking as in the morning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Things don't always appear the way that they seem. And that was certainly the case for the Israelites as they returned back to a demolished, broken land after God's severe discipline on them. I have a little video blip, I think, this morning. Jeff was able to put together for me. And this comes from Denver 7, and it's a 360 promo or Denver 7 360, and it's a promo advertising that segment of, of something they do. And do you have that, Jeff? This is kind of interesting. When you see a story from one angle, it seems clear what's going on. But when you see it from another, the whole story changes. 360 storytelling, multiple perspectives, different opinions, so you can make up your own mind. Denver 7, let's go 360. I love that promo. I mean, you think the guy's going to rob her, right? He's going to steal her purse. And, but we don't see the whole perspective of what is going on there. And yet, then when you see the rest of the scene, what seem to be something very corrupt and evil is actually a very loving and gracious work that is done and actually saves a woman's life. Things are not always as they seem to appear. And so God's people, they return from being in exile for 70 years in Babylon. They're back in Judea and in Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, as you remember, during the exile be, between the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they pretty much demolished uh, the land as God's people knew it, as they took them into exile, the destruction of the temple. Jerusalem is leveled, and all the glory and the splendor of their land, and dare I say, the pride that they had, was all demolished along with it. And then by God's grace and by his promise, he allows them to return, directs them to return to the promised land. And now they've been there about 100 years, and yet 
It's not the glory and splendor of what it used to be. And certainly the temple is being rebuilt, and as they look at the measurements of the temple, it's somewhat depressing to them. You know, in Ezra, we get a little bit of an insight in chapter 3, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, and that's a reference to Solomon's temple, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Now, maybe some of that weeping was joy that the temple was being rebuilt, but in the context of other prophets, it seems otherwise. In Haggai, for instance, chapter 2, here's another perspective of this event. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Wow. You can just see the depression among God's people. And uh, the place that was a place of the envy of the world, it was glory, it was splendor. The temple, Solomon's temple was grand. This is not like the quote-unquote good old days. The nation that was to be feared from a worldly perspective, doesn't seem like a very powerful nation anymore. And up north in Israel, what's going on? Uh, really horrible atrocities that God commanded his people not to do. When they come back, they are now intermarrying with the unbelievers, with the heathens, the non-Jews. And by the way, this is where the whole group of Samaritans comes from, and they become very hated people in Jesus' day and the New Testament era. And so things have changed drastically. And there's depression in the land. And certainly their current issues at hand lead them to have distorted views of God. Remember, things don't always uh, you know, appear the way they seem. Well, as you look through Malachi, here's some of the things God's people, well, maybe not... God's people, only God knows their heart, but they were certainly in rebellion. But here's some of the things they're saying. It is useless to serve God. Wow, think about that. It is useless to serve God. Evildoers prosper. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Imagine that. This is where they have come now, in their thinking and perspective of God, how have you, God, loved us? Imagine living in that frame of heart and mind. Well, Peter, you know, one of the apostles, and we could go through all the apostles, they had similar issues. Remember when Peter gave his great confession, when Jesus asked, who do people, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus explains to them, I'm going to have to go to the cross, I'll be crucified, and I will be raised on the third day. And Peter takes his Lord aside and says, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Again, Peter had a very distorted view of this whole situation. And it really is revealing of a deeper problem. And the problem is, is focusing on what they could not understand. 
because they can't see the whole picture. It's kind of like in that video. If all we saw was that front shot, we would think this guy is corrupt and evil and he's going to try to destroy this woman's life. But God sees the whole picture. And so what they couldn't understand, they began to question God's character, which is easy to understand by God's revelation of himself to us. So it begs the question this morning, and uh, boy, life issues can be tough, as a number of you in this room know firsthand right now. But what do we find hard to understand? What do we find hard to understand? 9-11, that was kind of hard to understand. Why would God allow that, right? I mean, God's all-powerful. He, he could have revealed that this was going to happen to the authorities. And God could have stopped that, right? And so it's the question of why does God allow evil? Or another one is why does God allow suffering? Why does he allow suffering? And, you know, you think of the remnants. I think that's a picture from Hurricane Harvey, the aftermath of that hurricane. But here this morning, Doug and Nita dealing with little Cody, their grandson, and uh, Cody battling cancer. Suffering. Why, do, why does God allow these things to happen? Why does God, is he really aware is he really aware of what's even going on in this earth? You know, one of my favorite pictures is from the Apollo journeys and, and that famous earth rise. And, and uh, you know, you look at the earth from that perspective. We don't know about Cody battling cancer. We don't know about 9-11. You wouldn't be able to see those things from a distance, right? Even Bette Midler kind of addressed that very negative way towards God from a distance. God's not aware of what we're really going through. And you know, can we, we can get into that entrapment ourselves in the midst of our pain and suffering and our lack of fully understanding. And then it, it really leads, doesn't it, to that question, does God really care? Does God really care? And that's just a direct attack then on his character, isn't it? And boy, we have to be careful with that because that's where the Israelites were really going in their steps of, of thinking in their hearts and minds. You know, because what happens, then we really question God's love for us. And if we begin to ponder whether God loves us, then we can easily be lured in by Satan in our sinful flesh to say with the, the people that were rebelling against God in Malachi's day that God delights in evil. God delights in evil. See how that has shifted from how, why does God allow evil to, oh, God even delights in evil. A direct attack on God's character that he clearly has revealed to us. And what's really missing in all of this, we see clearly revealed to us, don't we? And it's in verse 16 of our reading. So you had the rebellious and unbelieving group that were raising a ruckus about God and really defaming, uh, degrading God's name. But then you had those who remained faithful. 
And these are the ones who feared the Lord. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And isn't it, that's fellowship so important that when we're going through trying times and for Doug and Nita, I just love to see how many people are coming up, hugging them and checking in with you guys, seeing how you're doing. We're so glad you're here because this is where we need to be is with each other. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And you know, to fear the Lord doesn't mean to be afraid of God, by the way. To fear the Lord, biblically, in the Hebrew language, means that we stand in awe of God. We stand in reverence of God for who he is. Being our creator being our Savior, being the one who is intimately involved in our lives and fully aware of what's going on in our lives each and every day. And did you hear it? God refers to the church, to those who believe, the body of believers, as his treasured possession. Think about that. We are his treasured possession. Whether we're battling cancer in our lives, whether we were at the top of one of those towers in New York City, no matter what the circumstances are, God's announcement to you and me as precious people is that we are his treasure and it's his possession. You know, in Proverbs 1.7, we hear about the fear of the Lord. And look at that. It's the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of knowledge. And we wouldn't even be in this camp, if you will, if it wasn't for God intervening in our lives. Did you hear it in the epistle reading? Talk about strong, powerful language. He, meaning Christ, meaning God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that incredible language? I mean, that's powerful that God has stepped into your life and mine. He does it through his means of grace, through baptism, through hearing his word, and he literally delivers us and talk about a transition from the domain of darkness, and he transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's the kingdom of light. It's the kingdom of grace. It's the kingdom of security. It's the kingdom of everlasting life. And it's in Jesus that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We have the ultimate healing. When little Cody was baptized in this sanctuary, he was healed in the most incredible way and a healing that set Cody up for security in God's love and being God's treasured possession. It's true of all of us as his precious children whom he has delivered. And that's who we are. And so we are in a position that we are in God's book of remembrance. Don't you love it? It's just the very same uh, terms used as in Revelation, the book of life. 
It's God's book of remembrance. I love that title. God will never forget you and me. He forgets our sin, right? God says, I remember your sin no more. But God remembers his children always. And you know what? In light of that, we don't have to understand everything. In fact, it's very, uh, you know, it's a real challenge to try and attempt to understand everything because it's humanly impossible. But we are blessed to understand the essential. And that's what the Old Testament people in Malachi's time were failing to focus upon and understand. They, they, um, were not, they were asking the question, why? But they weren't clearly listening to God and what he already did for them and the wonderful blessings he continued to bestow upon them. Think about the criminal at the cross. He's not asking the question, why, is he? Instead of why... He actually confronts the other criminal. By the way, in the other gospel accounts, you put it together, both of them were railing on the Lord initially. But being in the presence of Jesus suffering and dying for them, one of the criminals saw and understood the essential thing. And it totally changed his life in the last moments of his life on this earth. And so he, he yelled to the other criminal, Do you not fear God? We are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But he's not asking why. But instead of why, I love it, what does he say? But Lord, uh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's a lot of things don't understand, but Jesus, what I do know is you love me. I know that you're dying on that cross for me, the criminal. And Jesus, I know in you, by your promise, by your character right before my eyes here, hanging on a cross beside you, I know that you are who you claim to be. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Today I say to you, you, today you will be with me in paradise. Got to state that clearly from the Greek. Jehovah's Witnesses love to twist that verse around. Jesus isn't saying, I'm telling you this today. He's saying today, when you die, when I die, you're going to be in paradise with me. Wow. Jesus, remember me. And Jesus announces to that criminal, you are in my book of remembrance. That's the essential, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. When we get into that mode of questioning, the whys and is God aware, does God really care, that's just like some say stinking thinking. <laughs> just going to get us into trouble. Because we can't see everything, just like in that video. We couldn't see everything, but God does. And he's the one that needs to know and understand. And we can lay that in God's lap. Why? Because we know his character. We know that we are remembered. 
We know the cost that the Lord paid that we would be remembered. And we know we have the security of everlasting life. Yes, life is hard. And we can sometimes be like those who returned from exile. And it just seems like it's not the good old days anymore. It's like things are falling apart around us. But we have the Lord. And He's not going to fall apart. He's the Almighty God. He's not going to change. When He makes a promise, it stands. And through Him, by His grace, we are His treasured possession. Whom He hears and pays attention to, whom He protects and preserves now and forevermore. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts and minds always in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.